Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 371 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, when I really ask you to agree with me, I'm asking you to hear me out. The term of the day is measuring stick game. You hear that a lot in sports, but what does that really mean? When somebody says this is a measuring stick game or that was a measuring stick game. A measuring stick game is a game where the importance of that game is a little more heightened because it shows you exactly where you are as a team. It shows you exactly where you fare amongst other good teams. A measuring stick game isn't every week. And honestly, there are t- there are very few instances where you get measuring stick games. But you know a measuring stick game when it comes. And you know... There's, there's a different feeling that comes out of a measuring stick game, whether you win or you lose. And that is where we're going to start. We are going to start with the measuring stick game that was the Dallas Cowboys and the 49ers. I have been on this train, at least this year, that the Dallas Cowboys were one of the best teams in football. I was looking at their percentages. I was looking at just how dominant they looked in their previous games. And I was saying that this could be the best version of the Dallas Cowboys we've seen in a while. I was bypassing. I was I was completely looking over who they played. I was just looking at how they executed. And while, yes, they have looked really good, there are things that are easily overlooked. When I say this a lot. Winning, allow, winning covers up a lot of things. When you win, it's a lot easier to overlook issues because you're ultimately winning. And... Those issues aren't as prevalent because obviously they're not that big of an issue if you're winning. At least that's what a lot of people think. Until you get to measuring stick games. Again, there may only be one or two measuring stick games in a season, but they do come. I was looking over the fact that the Dallas Cowboys were beating up on quote unquote lesser teams. They were beating up on, you know, the the New York Giants. They were they were beating on those type of caliber teams. Now, yes, they did lose to the Arizona Cardinals, but that also shows something as well. Like I said, winning overlooks a lot of of issues or you can overlook a lot of issues while winning because you know you're winning then you get to the measuring stick game then you get to face a team 
that has proven to be an elite team, that has proven to be a balanced team, that has proven to be one of, if not the best team in football right now in the 49ers. And you get destroyed. You lose 42 to 10. The reason why this is such a big deal, even though that it is week, what, five or just finished week five, the reason why this is a big deal because you want to sit measuring stick. You don't have to win measuring stick games, but you do have to show that you are not inferior to the team that you're going up against. You don't want to, you don't want to leave that game thinking that there is a wider gap between the elite teams and you. And that is where we sit today with the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, it's just one game. But that one game emphasized all the issues that the Dallas Cowboys have had this year. Again, the reason why those issues aren't talked about as much or the reason why those issues weren't as glaring before is because they were winning. But again, we weren't looking at just who they were beating. We were looking at just the outcome. We weren't looking at the fact that this this Cowboys team and Dak Prescott has struggled mildly offensively scoring the ball. We haven't looked at the fact of while this defense has been good, this defense one of the one of the most and shouts out to Shannon Sharp. He said this. One of the most glaring stats that popped out is Dallas. I think is was like one of the number one rush defensing or rushing defenses in football. Like they were leaps and bounds one of the best defenses when it comes to the rush. However, what that stat doesn't tell you is because you're beating teams. 40 to zero or because you're up 30 points those teams have to have to throw the ball so you're not getting a lot of rushes you're not getting a lot of rushing rushing opportunities because you're up so or you're down so a team is trying to throw the ball so that's a misleading stat a misleading stat is Dallas is one of the most prolific offenses in football because of how much they scored. Not mentioning the fact that most of their scores come from defensive turnovers. And most of their scores come from plays outside of the red zone. Dallas is actually one of the worst red zone scoring offenses in football. You see, nobody talks about this until they lose a measuring stick game. They were talking about this with the Arizona Cardinals, but not with as much vigor, not with as much conviction, because nobody thinks, even though they lost, nobody thinks that the Arizona Cardinals are one of those teams. Nobody thinks that the Arizona Cardinals is are gonna is gonna be that team that has something to say in the NFC when it comes down to who makes the playoffs and who doesn't. I will say that the Arizona Cardinals have been better than than advertised, especially without Kyler Murray, and they played extremely hard, but they're just not a good team. And now that James or James Conner is on I or is probably gonna go to IR, they're they're gonna be even worse. 
So it takes these type of games to really, really take the blindfolds off, really take the sunglasses off to this Dallas Cowboys team. I was wrong. <laughs> Damn, that doesn't sound good when you hear it, but I was wrong. I thought that the Dallas Cowboys are one of the best teams in football. And while they have been, it takes measuring stick games like this to really show you who you are. The 49ers completely dominated this Dallas Cowboys team. Brock Purdy, 50, uh, five, 252 yards, four touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey had a touchdown. Jordan Maxson had a touchdown. George Kittle had three touchdowns, 67 yards. Brandon Ayuk didn't have to do much. Debo Samuels didn't have to do much. Kyle Juszczyk had a touchdown. This was a complete dominance when it comes, or this was a completely dominant performance. Dak Prescott had 153 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions, and all three interceptions were Dak Prescott's fault. You saw the Dallas of last year. Let me talk about some of the things I was wrong about. Outside of me saying that the Dallas Cowboys are one of the best teams in football, I was wrong about Brock Purdy. Coming into the season, I said that you were – Brock Purdy was going to, you're going to see the real Brock Purdy. So I'm not going to say I was wrong. I was just off. I said going to the season that you're going to see the real Brock Purdy. You're going to see, you know, teams have time to, to develop and teams have time. They have film of you. They have time to create a scheme around you. They know what you're good at. They know what you're bad at. They know just who you are as a quarterback now because they have game film. And a lot of it now. And I just thought, well, yes, I thought the 49ers were going to be good. I didn't. I thought you were just Brock Purdy was going to take a step back because you know who you're dealing with now. And teams can scheme around them. Well, as we sit here today, I think I can confidently say at least right now, Brock Purdy is a top 10 quarterback in, in the National Football League. Nobody thought that would ever be the case. Obviously, the 49ers didn't think that was going to be the case because they picked him last in the draft. But Brock Purdy, as we sit here today, is the a top 10 quarterback. I can't think of 10 quarterbacks in today's foot NFL that is better than Brock Purdy. When we talk about poise, when we talk about you know his ability to, to get out the pocket, his ability to throw in the pocket, the decisions that he makes in the pocket and outside of the pocket, just... Some of the passes, the trust that Shanahan has with Brock Purdy. He is a top five, top 10 quarterback in this league right now. And that is doubly, which is not even a word, but I'm going to use it. That's doubly, or I'm not even, that, that doesn't even sound good. <laughs> That's double the feet. How do I say this? That should inc- inc- incise more fear into opponents because that was the weakness for this 49ers team. 
Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy was the weakness for this team. You look at this Cowboys team, and you look at this Cowboys game in general, and and when you see the 49ers on the field, you ask yourself, what is the weakness of the 49ers? What is the thing that you can look at the 49ers and say, this is going to be their downfall? They have arguably the best defensive player in the league right now, and it is not Nick Bosa. It is Fred Warner. They have arguably one of the best, not arguably, inarguably one of the best tight ends in football in George Kittle who scored his first touchdown this game times three. You have, right now, to me, is not a debate who is the best running back in football, and that's Christian McCaffrey. You have Debo Samuels, which you know how good Debo Samuels is. The offensive line is good because you have a Hall of Famer or future Hall of Famer in Trent Williams. What is, you have a future Hall of Fame coach, in my opinion, in Kyle Shanahan. Where is the the hole in this team? That's another thing about measuring stick games. It emphasizes your holes. And it it puts into bright lights and it puts your issues on front street. Now, going out of that game, we know that Dallas's run defense isn't the best. We know that Dak Prescott has been more of a hindrance to, or doesn't look much different than the Dak Prescott we saw last year. In fact, the last two seasons, Dak Prescott now ties Josh Allen with the most interceptions in the league. We know that every team, because the, the phrase that goes around is this team does not play or this team plays better up front than elite than behind and that's true everywhere every team plays better with a lead than they do with a deficit obviously because they have the lead so they're playing well that's that's just how it is that's the the, the phrase really should be this team isn't built to come back from a deficit that's something that we've saw from if you want to bring it to basketball, that's something we saw we see sometimes with the uh Milwaukee Bucks before they got Yon or before they got Drew Holland. What the hell? <laughs> before they got Damian Lillard. Because that team struggled mightily creating half court offense, the team struggled when they found themselves in a deficit. And the fact that they weren't the best three-point. They shot a lot of threes, and they had, you know, a a, a good, a decent percentage. They weren't the best three-point shooting team. So when you're not that good as as an offensive or half-court offensive team, and you're not that good shooting threes, when you're at a deficit, now what you're depending on is fast break points and turnovers. Well, if a team's not turning the ball over, and if you're not getting fast break points, you're not good coming back from a deficit the Dallas Cowboys 
this offense is not good, is not built from coming back from a is not built to come back from a deficit. And we've seen that against the Arizona Cardinals this year, and we saw that against the 49ers. To me, in this game, you saw two teams that you know what it is? I'll give you a perfect example. Or I'll give you a perfect analogy. You saw Orange Juice and you saw Sunny D. <laughs> In this game, you saw Orange Juice, Minute Made, Simply. You saw Orange Juice and you saw Sunny D. Both drinks and both can be refreshing, but one is the real thing and one obviously is not. Look, I'm not saying that this is the end for the Dallas Cowboys, and I'm not saying that the Dallas Cowboys are immediately trash. But when we talk about levels, and when we talk about where they are currently in their duration of the teams, you have Orange Juice and the 49ers, and you have Sonny D and the Dallas Cowboys. And shouts out to the 49ers for beating the Dallas. Cowboys 42 to 10. Also, when we talk about measuring stick games, they don't have to be as grand as the Dallas Cowboys 49ers game. They they honestly don't have to be a measuring stick game for the team. It can be a measuring stick game for a player. And we saw a measuring stick game for Jordan Love on Monday Night Football against the Raiders. The reason why this was more of a measuring stick game is because the jury is still the jury is still out on is Jordan Love good or not? I know we saw some early performances and it blew us away. And I even came on here and said that I was wrong about is Jordan does Jordan Love have talent? Is Jordan Love good? I think he obviously he has talent, but there's a difference between having talent and being good. And I think that we were still trying to figure out as a fan base how good is Jordan Love? And is Jordan Love the quarterback, like ready to be the quarterback for this Green Bay Packers team? And the reason why this Oakland or the reason why this Vegas Raiders game was a measuring stick game is because Jordan Love was stumbling into this game. Jordan Love has not looked good the last, what, two or three games. High interceptions, hasn't really been seeing the field well. Terrible first halves. Jordan Love actually is one of the worst first half quarterbacks in the league this year. Still early, but that is just that's that's what's that's what's true. So 
it wasn't as much as you're going against the Vegas Raiders. The measuring stick game was, is this the game that you're going to turn around? This is prime time. This is uh, Monday Night Football. This is You're on the road. And you're going against a team that, outside of Max Crosby, isn't that good defensively. So this is the game where you should exert your dominance. This is the game where you should prove that this is who I am. Not what you've seen these last two weeks. This is who I am. This is one of those games where I can turn around the fortune of my season. While, yes, again, I know it's early, but Jordan Love has not had a good last two to three weeks. And what did Jordan Love do? Jordan Love goes 16 for 30, 182 yards, zero touchdowns, three interceptions. And like majority of this season, Jordan Love had a horrible first half. I think the first half of this game, he only had 57 yards, I think. And Jordan Love looked how do I say this you can tell how an organization feels about you and you can tell what the limitations of a quarterback is by the game plan that they have going into the game and going into the game The question was, can Jordan Love throw it downfield? That's that's kind of the biggest question mark with a lot of rookies because, again, it's just different. The speed of the game, the physicality of the game is different from college to to the pros. And while, no, Jordan Love, this isn't technically his rookie year. Technically, I will say that this is his rookie year because, well, Yes, technically this is not Jordan Love's rookie year, but this is the first year that he is the full-time starter. So in 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 that case, I would say yes, this is I'm going into it as his rookie year. But there were multiple times in in this game and and in the season where you'd want Jordan Love to throw the ball deep. Take a shot. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman highlighted, I think early or halfway through the third quarter that the Packers had not thrown a deep ball the entire the entire game or hasn't tried to go deep on the on the defense that has been struggling hasn't tried to go deep the entire game that means that they don't trust Jordan Love's I'm not going to say deep ball capability, but they don't trust that Jordan Love and um, maybe these wide receivers, I don't know. There's 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 lack of trust somewhere when it comes to throwing the deep ball and really challenging the defense. Somewhere it's it's off. And even and, and don't get me wrong, Jordan Love didn't play that much worse than Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo, 208 yards, 
one touchdown, one interception. The thing is, it was the big plays. The, the difference was one quarterback had three interceptions. One of them had one. And I understand that there has been injuries throughout the year. And I also understand that your best player offensively in Aaron Jones didn't play. But you know there's an issue when Zaire Alexander, arguably your best defensive player, comes out and pretty much says, we as a defense has it's it's clear that we can't allow a team to score because when you hold your when you hold a team to 17 points that's usually a recipe to win that is a really good defensive outing holding an 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 a professional football team to 17 points is exceptional especially when Campbell is out and and you have injuries on the defensive side of the ball. And a lot of those, and, and let's not get it twisted, a lot of those three interceptions, it wasn't because he was rushed. He just didn't see the field well. Or he would throw into triple coverage. Like, what are you doing, bro? I don't. I don't take much out of this game from the Raiders. I think the Raiders are still arc, even though their record isn't. I think they're still one. No, actually, we'll talk about the Broncos in a second. But I will say that measuring stick games are different for different players and different for different teams. Different for different. <laughs> there, I'll say this: there are measuring stick games for players, and there are measuring stick games for teams. What we saw with the Cowboys was that was a measuring stick game for the team that they ultimately lost against the 49ers. This game, the Green Bay Packers, that was a measuring stick game for Jordan Love. And the questions and the problems that we've had with Jordan Love this season reared his ugly head again, which ultimately lost in the game against the Raiders. Shouts out to the Raiders for beating the Packers 17-13. to I feel like last episode, I think, I said, I was talking about Daniel Jones. And I was saying, the issue with the Daniel Jones is he is not the problem with the New York Giants. The the issue with Daniel Jones is he is also not the solution. That is kind of the same thing to a lesser extent with Mac Jones and the Patriots. The Patriots, or last episode I also talked about, or maybe two episodes ago, I talked about Bill Belichick. And I talked about How should we view Bill Belichick as a coach? Should we question 
Bill Belichick's coaching ability with and without Tom Brady. Because with Tom Brady, obviously, one of the greatest coaches ever, uh, seven Super Bowls, greatness. Or maybe six Super Bowls, greatness. But then you have the Bill Belichick after Tom Brady that has only been to, I believe, one playoff. The Saints beat the Patriots 34-0. I think this is the second time in the Patriots' history or the this is the second time in the last 50 years I think or 53 years or something that the Patriots have lost back-to-back games by more than 30. <sighs> Mac Jones is not the only let's say that Mac Jones is not the only problem with the Patriots. The issue is It's difficult having to replace someone like Tom Brady. That's obvious. And there will never be another Tom Brady. That's the reason. Like, he's considered the GOAT for a reason. There will never be another Tom Brady in the NFL. And I think what the issue is, and I probably didn't give Tom Brady as much credit in this area as I should have and that is being able to overcome deficiencies around you one of the biggest reasons one of the one of the main reasons why Tom Brady is considered one of the goats is because he was be able he was be able <laughs> he was able to take and get the best out of anybody you you have maybe a fifth round receiver or fourth round receiver he was able to get the best out of that receiver. And even through draft whiffs or even through some of the, the offensive efficiency, some of the defensive efficiencies, even though there wasn't a lot of defense efficiencies, some of the defensive efficiencies, Tom Brady was able to overcome that. And when you replace Tom Brady, i.e. Mac Jones, you're expected to do that. You're expected to be the Tom Brady. Well, the issue is not just that Mac Jones isn't Tom Brady, but Mac Jones isn't good enough to overcome a lot of the deficiencies that this New England Patriots team has. And I said a couple episodes ago that Mac Jones has regressed, and that is true. Mac Jones throws terrible interceptions, makes terrible decisions. And while I do believe Mac Jones has regressed, he's not the biggest issue on this team. There are there, it's it would take an entire episode alone to really pinpoint the issues for this team. And a lot of it the overarching issue is the players or the the overarching the overarching itch issue for the New England Patriots is Bill Belichick. 
And I'm not saying Bill Belichick as a coach. I'm saying Bill Belichick has his hand in everything. When we talk about the draft, when we talk about, I think he is the GM. Like, Bill Belichick, his hands is all over this team. As a coach, you can argue that Bill Belichick is the greatest coach of all time. But as a draft now uh, evaluator, as a as a pretty much GM, Bill Belichick is horrible. And as you look here today, the the New England Patriots is one of the worst teams in football. With a quarterback that's regressing, he's not bad. But you can also, and I'm not saying that he's. He's regressing because he's just trash. If he's not able to get the best out of the wide receivers that he has, then he has to, you know, he, 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 can't, he ultimately can't grow. And you're not going to stay the same. So by process of elimination, you regress. I think that this has to be the last time. I, I know the question is, is this going to be Bill Belichick's last year as a coach? I don't think so. But I do think that this has to be the last year that Bill Belichick has an authoritarian approach over the whole team. Because obviously, this is the team that Bill Belichick built. The one in 14, one in four team is a team that Bill Belichick had his hand in every sing, every single nook and cranny of this team. Bill Belichick has had his hand in. And you can question if he is a Hall of Fame. No, you can question if he is the greatest coach or not. To me, what is unquestionable is he is one of the worst draft evaluators of talent and one of the worst quote-unquote GMs in football. Plain and simple. And if you don't believe me, you don't. You think I'm BSing? Look at this team. Look at some of the decisions they've made. They let Jacoby Myers walk to get Juju Smith-Schuster, who has ha- who has a knee issue that is, I think, debilitating pretty much, and paid paid. Juju Smith-Schuster, the same amount of money that Jacoby Myers ultimately accepted in in Vegas. The reason why, the last thing I'm going to say about this, the reason why you haven't seen success or you haven't seen sustainable success from the New England Patriots since Tom Brady passed or left is not because Daniel Jones is trash. It's because we're so used to Tom Brady blanketing Bill Belichick's team building issues. Mac Jones is not that. And as we're seeing, when you have a quarterback that isn't on the same caliber 
as Tom Brady in a sense of being able to cover up issues, you get what we're getting now. So, shouts out to the Saints for beating the Patriots 34-0. to Just the second time in over 50 years that the New England Patriots have lost double digit or lost both game two two games back to back by more than thirty points. So I know when I did my predictions last episode, I predicted that the Bills were going to beat the Jaguars. I just felt I mean at the time Josh Allen was the front running MVP after beating the um, beating the Dolphins. And I just felt going into this game, it, I said that it was going to be a trap game, but I, I just thought the as good as the, the Bills were against the Dolphins, that they would be able to duplicate that against the Jaguars. I thought they were going to win. I didn't think they were going to win by much, but I thought they were going to win completely looked over the fact that the Jaguars are like Hall of Famers outside of Jacksonville. The Jaguars are, I think, 0-2 at home and 3-0 on the road. And I completely overlooked the fact that the Jaguars are monsters overseas. Like, Jaguars are one of those teams that find themselves always playing in these London or Mexico City games and the Jaguars beat the Bills 25 to 20. Trevor Lawrence threw for 315 yards, one touchdown. Travis Etienne rushed for 160 or no, 136 yards, two touchdowns. Calvin Ridley had Jesus. Calvin Ridley had 122 yards, seven catches. It was just it was total it it was a, I'm not going to say total dominance, but it was one team was just, just better than the others. And when you have a, when you have a, a game that close, m- small mistakes are magnified. A lot of, you know, false start penalties or, or roughing the passer penalties or delay games. Those, those penalties start to hurt and interceptions hurt as well. Josh Allen Josh Allen threw for 359 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. That one interception was costly. I know he had a rushing touchdown, but that one interception was costly. I mean, you had Gabe Davis, he caught over 100 or he caught 100 yards. Stefan Diggs caught 121. It doesn't matter. That one when you have a game that close, that one interception was the game. You add the momentum it was a back and forth game until it wasn't, and I know they lost uh Milano. I think they lost him for the season. I know they lost two defensive players, and their defense is getting hit. Milano is one of the best, better defensive uh, players in the league, and now they're losing him for majority, if not all of the season. Uh, they just lost Darius White last game, so their defense is taking minor, major hits. Even though that Von Miller did come back, uh, it's it's it's. Oof. I pray for a speedy recovery because that is that is huge losing a player like that. On on honestly, um, it's 
shout out to the Jaguars, man. They did what they were supposed to do. I just, I need to see. I think the next evolution and the way that Trevor Lawrence can get better is just consistency. Again, kind of like Justin Herbert to a certain extent, Trevor Lawrence has the talent to be considered a top-tier quarterback, has a top-three quarterback in the league-type talent. The thing that holds him back and things that hold someone like a Justin Herbert as well back is the consistency or the inconsistency in their play. One, one, one game they look like gangbusters against the Bills. Trevor Lawrence had quick, precise pass, even though he had one touchdown. He 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 was he was great. Then you'll have games where it's just like, wait, what's happening? Why is yo he looks horrible? He'll throw three or four. Yo, I think he had even in this game, he had two fumbles like strip fumbles for losses. Like he lost two fumbles, I believe. That is Trevor Lawrence. So I just need to see once he once he gets more consistent, then you can start putting him amongst some of those teams, you know. But until then, there's always going to be a question mark with a player like Trevor Lawrence. But he did beat the Bills, so shouts out to the Jaguars for beating the Bills twenty five to twenty. I think that on the on the Jaguar, I mean on the Bills side. Josh Allen just he was good it was just it just needs to clean it up he needs to clean up those those again with a game that close one interception was the defining even though again Trevor Lawrence did have two fumbles but you have to be able to capitalize that with that because I think both of those fumbles were in the red zone or at least one of them was in the red zone and you didn't capitalize so you just got to get better at that and you got yourself a, a deal Look at that! God damn! I just I'm just looking at this. Yo, Josh, Josh Allen was the leading rusher in, in this game, or for the Bills, with 14 rush, 14 rushing yards. Mm. Shouts out to the Jaguars for being the Bills, twenty five to twenty. Let's move forward. I will go on record in saying that. C.J. Stroud has had one of the best, or is having one of the best rookie years a quarterback has had in a while. And even though they did lose, C.J. Stroud has been putting on a clinic. In a losing effort, they he he threw two hundred and forty nine yards, one touchdown. C.J. Stroud has been incredible. And the question that was posed before this game, especially after seeing what the Falcons did last week in London, the question was, how good is Desmond Ritter? There are... There are two types of quarterbacks. There's a quarter there's quarterbacks that don't need much help and there's quarterbacks that need help around them. A lot of help around them. For example, Patrick Mahomes, which 
I know he's obviously the best quarterback in the league, but Trevor Patrick, you know, let me give you another one. As much crap as I get put on Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert is one of those players that he doesn't need much around him to be great. I'm not saying that that ultimately, ultimately resorts in wins, but Justin Herbert can throw to whoever and look incredible. I'm not saying that he doesn't need help around him, but what I am saying is he doesn't need much help. He doesn't need everything to be right around him for him to succeed. He can work with what he's working with. Not saying, that, again, it's not going to ultimately resort in wins, but mostly when they mostly when the when the Chargers lose it's mostly because Brandon Staley does something stupid then there's quarterbacks like a like Jimmy Garoppolo who has it's been proven that he needs everything right around him he needs a good offensive line he needs good weapons on the outside he needs a good defense he if everything is right around Jimmy Garoppolo, he can be a very good quarterback. But if if he doesn't have a good line or he doesn't have pieces around him, it it's going to be a long season for your team. I'm starting to think Desmond Ritter is on that Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins side of the ball. There's a stat. I think going dating back to high school or maybe dating back to yeah dating back to high school I think Desmond Ritter has only lost maybe middle school dating back to middle school I think Desmond Ritter has only lost one home game and I think that was in middle school Desmond Ritter apparently is the goat at home <laughs> I mean, he hasn't lost a home game in Atlanta, obviously. Threw for 329 yards, one touchdown. I don't, I, I just think everything needs to be, I, I think Desmond Ritter can win a game, obviously. I think Desmond Ritter, Ritter is good enough to win games. But when we talk about making that leap and, Having the Falcons be considered one of those teams that can make some noise in the playoffs, I think at that point you need. That's when Desmond Ritter needs everything right around him. I just don't think he's good enough to overcome team deficiencies like a Justin Herbert, like a Trevor Lawrence at times, like a Patrick Mahomes. Now, obviously, those are top tier quarterbacks. And I'm not, let me, I'm not crapping on Desmond Ritter, man. Shouts out to him and shouts out to the the Falcons for beating the Texans 21 to 19. It was a good game. He obviously outdueled uh, CJ Stroud. Um, B. John Robinson had yet another incredible uh, run. It's, it's been good. So, shouts out to them, man. This is yet another game, bro. He did throw them 11 times. All right. I'm just getting really upset how they're using Kyle Pitts. That's all I'm saying. That is all I'm saying. Because Jesus Christ. Let's move forward. 
Yo. I don't. Yeah, this is this is so out of five games, I think this is the third time that Anthony Richardson is unable to finish the game due to an injury. And what it's looking like is he's gonna miss several several weeks or at least a couple weeks with a shoulder injury or shoulder sprain or something like that. I don't I can't keep coming on here and it can't keep being said that Anthony Richardson has to protect himself. I just don't want I just don't want Anthony Richardson to start developing and start getting that uh fragile or injury prone tag on him this early cuz again, 5 games in, 3 of them he has not finished due to injury. Two of them, I believe, was a concussion. Anthony Richardson, when on the field, is really good, really exciting, and he gives this Colts team a chance to win moving forward. Now, yes, they ultimately did win 23-16 to against the Titans. Garner Minshew only – only, Missed three passes. He went 11 for 14, 157 yards, 155 yards. Zach Moss ran for 165 yards, two touchdowns. They did just get Jonathan Taylor back and signed him to a new deal. So, shouts out to that. But I, I just feel like at least five games in, Anthony Richardson is starting to get that. Uh, fragile injury prone tag and I just don't want that on him so and honestly like every single injury it's been because he's ran the ball so I do actually want to talk about Jonathan Taylor for a second like I just said Jonathan Taylor signed a new deal I think it was a three, three-year deal, and um, I don't. At the end of the day, the issue that Jonathan Taylor, along with most, if not all, of the running backs have was fair pay you know they felt they were underpaid for their services and for their importance on the team and they just wanted to be paid like a top tier position even though some people don't really consider them a top tier position they have top tier names like a Saquon Barkley or Jonathan Taylor or Alvin Kamara or Derrick Henry or Christian McCaffrey but they're they're viewed as depreciating a depreciating position. And with Jonathan Taylor getting, you know, Jonathan Taylor holding out pretty much. They say it was injury, but he was holding out uh, to ultimately get this deal. I mean, he requested a trade, said, I don't want to play for this organization. Him and Jim Ursay kind of went back and forth. Um, I hope 
that the deal that Jonathan Taylor got, I hope that that is the start of more deals. Like, let me let me let me see what Jonathan Taylor got because I feel like that's not. Because I I want to know. I need to see Jonathan Taylor. Here we go. Jonathan Taylor got a got a three whoa, yeah three year forty two million dollar extension that includes twenty six point five million dollars guaranteed. This was the Saturday before the game. Again, that is three years forty two million dollar contract extension. Twenty six point five million guaranteed. When you talk about a running back position, that is essentially what a running back probably should be paid. A, a top-tier running back. And then you, we know that Christian McCaffrey's going to need to get a new deal. Uh, Derrick Henry's deal is coming up. I just hope that Jonathan Taylor, that deal sparks, sparks, I guess, new deals to come like that. And... Jonathan Taylor kind of did it right. I don't think that someone like a Derrick Henry or Alvin Kamara or something needs to do that as far as hold out and request a trade. It's unfortunate that Jonathan Taylor have to do that. I don't think they'll have to, but Jonathan, at the end of the day, you play. Jonathan Taylor was just a disgruntled employee for the Indianapolis Colts. Now he is top of the moon. <laughs> so, shouts out to him for doing it right, man. Getting what you want. So let's move forward. Um, it's not. It's shouts out to the Miami Dolphins for beating the New York Giants thirty-one to sixteen. Pretty much expected this. I expected the Giants to get destroyed. They did. Um, the question now is, do they continue to put Daniel Jones out there? Not saying he's the problem again. But this offensive line is terrible, and now Daniel Jones has a neck issue or neck injury. I don't look. <laughs> I don't think. Uh, I don't think it's smart to, to keep putting it back out there if he has a neck problem, especially when you invest as much money into as they did with Daniel Jones. Sit him out till he's good. Uh, also, uh, Devon. Uh, A-Chan, he is going to be out for several weeks with an injury. I think that's a huge loss for this Dolphins team. Now, I understand the Dolphins team is clearly the best, or not best, fastest team in the league. We have Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Morsert, A-Chan. This has been the fastest team in the league. And what we've seen is there is, while Raheem Morsert is really good, there's just a different spark that you see out of A-Chan, and losing him is going to be big. I know they have, I think, Wilson uh, Wilson Jr. I think he's he's going to be able to play, but I just think that – I don't think it's going to take a huge hit for the Dolphins team, um, but losing someone – I mean, I, he was in contention for rookie of the offensive rookie of the year uh, – going forward or moving forward. So I do think this is going to be a huge blow for the team and I hope that he gets healthy soon, but yeah, the dolphins did beat the giants 31 to 16. 
so shout out to them. Oh, Tua did also have 308 yards. And he threw two touch two interceptions. Two touchdowns, two interceptions. So those interceptions were kind of bad, but not once I think. Like when you it was crazy. Every single time they panned like back to Tua after he threw the interceptions, he was smiling like, ah. Oh well, okay. Like that's how much <laughs> that's how much they did and respect the Giants. It was like, ah shit, all right, well. Oh, we'll get it back next time. That's crazy. But shouts out to the Dolphins for being the Giants, 31 to 16. Boy. I never thought I would have to do this. But I'm going to come on to the defense. Oh, whoa, pause. Let me change that. I am going to uh, let's play a little bit of attorney here. I'm going to be the attorney the defense attorney for Russell Wilson. The Jets beat the Dol- the Broncos 31 to 21. And the red the conversation that is coming out of this game is Russell Wilson is terrible. This is the worst he's ever looked. That's what Mike Greenberg said. Um this team is trash because of Russell Wilson. Now, they also shine light on this is this is argue, this is historically one of the worst defenses ever. And it just hasn't worked with Sean Payton and this coaching staff and this defense. And reports are coming out saying that even the players feel like there's about to be a a huge change in personnel and a huge change as far as like a a tearing down of the team. Players about to get traded. I know Randy Gregory just got traded to the 49ers. Is it the 49ers? I think it's the 49ers. Like, you know, it's it's going to happen. But this is, and it kind of goes back to the conversation that I had about Daniel Jones and that I had about Mac Jones. Russell Wilson has not been the problem. This season. In fact, there is a tweet that's going around. And I even put it on my story. Russell Wilson has comparable and even at times better numbers than Patrick Mahomes this season. Russell Wilson is on the same trajectory as Patrick as individual players as Patrick Mahomes is this season. They have damn near identical numbers. But of course the com- Patrick Mahomes is what? 3 uh 4 and 1 and the Broncos are 1 and 4. Now yes. The last play of the game against the Jets, Russell Wilson did essentially fumble the ball, which was a scoop and score for the for the Jets, essentially ending the game. Uh, but like I said about Daniel Jones and Mac Jones, Russell Wilson has not been the problem for this uh Denver Broncos team. 
The issue is he's also he also hasn't been the solution. But my and this is where the defense comes in. How do you? How are you the? How can you cover up? I don't think anyone, not prime uh, Tom Brady, not Patrick Mahomes, not prime Aaron Rodgers. Not prime Drew Brees, not prime Peyton Manning. I don't think anyone can overcome a defense that has given up the second most points in N or the yeah the second most points in NFL history through five games. I'll say that again. This Denver Broncos defense has given up the second most points through five games in NFL history. Meaning they are the second worst defense in NFL history. Again, I don't care if you bring Tony or Joe Montana or prime Peyton Manning, prime Tom Brady. There is no one that can cover up how bad that defense is. I get it, though. Marshawn Lynch was on a. Club Shay Shay, shouts out to Shannon Sharp in that podcast. He was on Club Shay Shay and pretty much didn't paint Russell Wilson in the most positive light as a teammate. And we know a lot of players from the Seahawks wasn't a fan of Russell Wilson. We know some of the Russell Wilson's uh Antics. I'm not gonna say antics. Some of what Russell Wilson does rug people the wrong way. Winning his own uh, office. So a lot of his teammates can't get in contact with him. It's you have to go through different channels. A lot of times, he was he's not able to be disciplined. Russell Wilson has not been projected as the best teammate. So I understand that when stuff hits the fan and stuff is hitting the fan for the Denver Broncos and you look at the contract plus the extension that Russell Wilson got that does not even kick in until next year, I believe. You look at this Broncos team and think it's easy. The easy target is Russell Wilson. But and especially after what we saw last year and how Russell Wilson was for sure one of the problems for this team. But as we sit here today, Russell Wilson has not been the problem and now he hasn't been the solution either. But I don't know how you find a strong enough solution when your defense is giving up the second most points through five games in NFL history. I don't know what you can do with that. Again, Russell Wilson threw for 196 yards, two touchdowns. I don't know what else you want. Again, I I know you he did turn the ball over at the end, but come on now. Let's look at the problem for what it is. Russell Wilson has comparable numbers to Patrick Mahomes this year. The difference is one team is four and one, one team is one and four. And that one and four team is not one and four because of Russell Wilson. I'll just say that. 
And again, I will say this one last time. He's also not the solution either. But I don't know who in, in, in NFL history at their height would be the solution when your team is giving up as much defensively, giving up as much points defensively as they're giving up in Denver. So. Oh, what'd you say? Oh, okay. Another another client? Come on in, Lamar Jackson. Sit down. Still got my uh <laughs> still got my defense attorney uh cap on. How you doing, Lamar? So as we look, I'm talking to Lamar, Lamar Jackson, guys. As we look, Ravens are now three and two. Okay, okay. Uh, you threw for 236 yards, no touchdowns. Ah, one interception. Not good. Oh, it says here that the Ravens are had the third most drops in the league this year. Okay. I don't think you can drop the ball because you're passing the ball. Okay. It also says that the Ravens had eight, eight drops. On Sunday. Okay. Ooh, three of which would have been touchdowns. Mm. That's 21 points. So you would have had 31. Mm. Okay. So. Now let me talk to the. (laughs) Let me talk to people out there. Let me first shout out the, the Steelers for beating the Ravens 17 to 10. This game was an old-fashioned AFC North showdown in the ugly score. At one time it was 8 to 10. It was just it was just an uh, it was it was just an ugly smash-mouth game. Uh, what we're used to seeing in the AFC North. But on top of that, this is also a game that we usually would see out of the Ravens. Have a lead, get stagnant, have some very, very good opportunities to throw, to extend the lead. And you ultimately don't. You ultimately lose a game that you had absolutely no business losing. Just like a couple weeks ago, you had absolutely no business losing to the Colts without Anthony Richardson. You lost to Gardner Minshew. You had absolutely no business losing to this this Pittsburgh Steelers team. And even as we say here today, I'm not I'm not going to crap on the Pittsburgh Steelers. As we say here today, the Pittsburgh Steelers are number one in the AFC North, which is crazy. As much as we talked about their offense in Matt Canada, they are number one in the AFC North. But you hear on first take Stephen A. Smith arguing with uh, uh, Skip, not Skip Bayless, uh, Shannon Sharp asking, you know, have the Ravens, are they getting the deal that, are they getting their money's worth for Lamar Jackson or from Lamar Jackson. They said, no, Lamar Jackson 
is one of the league leaders in fumbles in the fourth quarter, and I do think that that definitely needs to be improved by Lamar Jackson. Uh, but if we're just talking about Sunday, this this conversation is different. You go from three and two to four and one. Clearly, the best team in the AFC North, and one of the best teams in football. Again, three times. Again, eight drops. But three times those drops would have resulted in touchdowns. Two in a row, one from Mark Mark Andrews, one from Rashad Bateman, and of course Nelson Aguilar would have had a walk-in touchdown. I don't know this season. I'm starting look, I am going to stand on my pick as the Ravens win the Super Bowl, but every single week it's looking more and more like that pick is is not going to happen. I'm going to Stand on my conviction, you know. I'm gonna stand on what I said, but dog, you're right. Receive Odell Beckham Jr. went out again with another injury. I think he did come back, but like, still, man, I don't, I don't know what you expect Lamar Jackson to do, even with those drops. I think Lamar Jackson led the league on Sunday with in QBR with like 96. What did you expect for him to do? He can't get eight drops. Like, come on, bro. I don't know what you expect. Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson does need to be better. Uh, I know that last throw to, I think, Odell Beckham Jr., that was an a interception from Joey Porter Jr., Joey Porter the second, I think. That was a bad pass. Uh, I think it – but also on the same play – Odell Beckham Jr. didn't even create no type of separation. So I don't know, man. I don't know. But shouts out to the Steelers for beating the Ravens 17 to 10. So it looks like Joe Burrow's back. Now I know what an episode or two ago I said that they should shut down Joe Burrow until he looks right. Uh it could be because it's the Dolph or the Cardinals, but the Cardinals, they do play hard, and I did pick the Cardinals to win this game because of how bad Joe Burrow has looked, so obviously I was wrong. But Joe Burrow looks like he is back. He threw for 317 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Jamar Chase alone had 192 yards, three touchdowns. Like, this this is the Bengals that found themselves in a Super Bowl, found themselves in the AFC Championship just last two years. This, again, I am going to hold out hope, and I'm going to hold out some, some you know, I, I'm not sure if Joe Burrow's back or is just the Arizona Cardinals just didn't look good because, again, the Arizona Cardinals, at least especially defensively, has played hard this entire year. Uh, and I now... They find themselves in a candle, uh, a candle. (laughs) They find themselves in an interesting situation because, again, I want to see what the Cincinnati Bengals look like against better competition, even though the Arizona Cardinals have been good this year and play hard. They just haven't been able to finish games. It does look like Joe Burrow is back, and if Joe Burrow is back, that changes a lot of things, and it changes the complexion of how the AFC is going to fare. So, shouts out to the Bengals for beating the Cardinals 34-20. to 20. 
I will say, which is one of the most quiet, which is so shocking. One of the most quiet 5-0 teams you can see is the Eagles. They beat the Rams 23-14. to And they win the same exact way every single week. And shouts out to the Eagles. Like that's no that's no disrespect to them. Uh Jalen Hurts had three hundred and one yard or three hundred and three yards, one touchdown, one interception. He also ran for seventy two yards, one touchdown. Dallas Goddard had a hundred and seventeen yard receiving AJ Brown, hundred and twenty seven yards. <sighs> They win the same way. They they win smash mouth. They are a very physical, one of the most physical teams in football. And they don't ask much of Jalen Hurts, but he does come to perform. Um, Cooper Cup, God, Cooper Cup came back. His first game, he had 118 yards. <laughs> and Puka Nakua, who a lot of people have as their number one player as the offensive rookie of the year, he had 71 yards and a touchdown. Um, I think I just saw that they traded Van Jefferson. They traded him to the Falcons uh, for a late round pick swap in 2025. So was it the Falcons or the Ravens? Uh, the Falcons. Um, so shouts out to them. Shouts out to Van Jefferson. Uh, but yeah, the, the Eagles did their thing, man. Shouts out to them. And they are one of the most slept on not i will say this they look they don't look as dominant as they did last year but again remember going to the season i did say that they have the hardest schedule in football uh so that's they're not going to just destroy teams as they did last season and even with arguably the hardest foot artist schedule in football they are five and oh right now so shouts out to them and even though we don't talk about them as much because we talk about the 49ers we talk about the cowboys we talk about any team in the afc the eagles are five and oh and they keep doing the thing so shouts out to them uh the chiefs beat the jets or beat the vikings 27 to 20 the the Conversation out of this game, honestly, is centered around Justin Jefferson. He is out with a hamstring, and I think that they put him in IR. Uh, you really have to look. When The question is, when do you consider tearing a team down? A lot of people think that you should tear a team down when the team is just god-awful or when the team is is just has absolutely no is one of the bottom feeders and i know you tear the team i think you it's time to tear a team down when you've obviously reached the peak and you've obviously reached the ceiling of a team and the ceiling of a team is not as high as you want it to be or it's not as high as you think it should be with the talent that you have one of the biggest issues and i'll, I'll bring it to basketball in a little bit one of the biggest issues i have with the washington wizards is you had John Wall, you had Bradley Bill, but they, for the longest, hit that ceiling. That ceiling was hit. They just hesitated and refused to tear it down. Tear it down usually means you start fresh and you hope that that ceiling 
the next time you start and you start building for the future, that ceiling is higher than it currently is. The issue with the Wizards is it never was high, and they kept trying to prolong it. With this Vikings team, it feels like they're trying to prolong it. They're trying to get the best out of Kurt Cousins, get the best out of this running game, get the best out of this this collection of talent. But the situation, the issue is, even at its best, you have arguably the best wide receiver in football in Justin Jefferson. Do you have a top five tight end in football in TJ Hawkinson? You have a competent team now the defense is not good but you have a competent team the issue is the ceiling has been the same since Kirk Cousin has been there and you can say that the season is over now that they put uh, Justin Jefferson on IR meaning he's going to miss at least four games but even I don't think that because you have Kirk Cousins because the ceiling has been the same for the for the Vikings I don't see I don't see this being such a, a a huge turning point because I don't see even with Justin Jefferson being who he is, I don't see much positive from this team. This team is one in four. With all that. And I think that I'm not saying the organization, but I think that the fan base has lived on the phrase they're the best mediocre team i think it's been time to turn it down or tear it down for the minnesota vikings because even at their best they're not a championship caliber team like let's just look at nfc teams i'm not picking them over the cowboys i'm not picking them over the 49ers i'm not picking them over the giants or not the giants the uh Eagles. I'm not picking them over the Lions, which we'll talk about in a second. I'm not picking them over the Seahawks. That's just five teams. So I hope for a speedy recovery with Justin Jefferson. And shouts out to the Chiefs for beating the Vikings 27 to 20. The last game of the week that we will talk about is the Detroit Lions beating the Panthers 42 to 24. And I think we've been putting it off for a while. And it's been as a fan base, as people that watch football, as people that cover football, cover sports in general, it's very hard to detach from what we've seen in recent memory. It's very hard to detach from the from the from the past. Especially when the pass is as as lengthy as it's been for the Lions being bad. The Lions have been bad a lot more than the Lions have been good in their entire tenure. So when you look at this team, it's very hard to accept what we're seeing. Because what we're seeing, at least for this organization, we're not used to seeing. When we talk about the components of a Super Bowl caliber team, what is it? What what makes them a super what makes a team a Super Bowl caliber team? Well, you have to have a good quarterback. You have to have a Justin or a Joe Burrow, a Patrick Mahomes. You have to have a good quarterback. 
While no, Jared Goff is not on that level, Jared Goff has been a very good quarterback. You have to have a good defense. The Detroit Lions have one of the best defenses in football. You have to have a good running game. David Montgomery has emerged as one of the top running backs in football, at least top 10 right now. You have to have a good wide receiving core. Well, you have Josh Rich, uh, Josh Rennes. You have, you know, uh, Ahmad St. Brett. Like, you, this, this Lions team has a good wide receiver core. You have to have a good coach. Dan, Dan Campbell's a good coach. I know it's hard, and it's crazy even for me to say this. And I've been hesitant to say this, but the Detroit Lions is a Super Bowl caliber team. And, of course, we saw this coming last year with how good of a season and how the season ended last year. But they've just gotten they've just gotten better. And the Lions have all the capabilities of being a Super Bowl caliber team. As crazy as that is to say, because look at the history, yo. They've had Matt Stafford, they had Calvin Johnson, they've had uh Barry Sanders, they've had so many good players and it's nothing. So to think that this team is a Super Bowl caliber team is crazy, but it's true. It's true. Another team is the Seahawks. The Seahawks are one of those teams as well. Nobody, it's very hard to say the Seahawks are a Super Bowl caliber team, not because of the history of the Seahawks, but because Geno Smith is their quarterback. But Geno Smith has been a very good quarterback for the Seahawks. This Detroit Lions team has been good, man. It's been good. And on the other side, one thing I will say about this Panthers team, because a lot of conversation now is about Bryce Young. And when you're looking and you see what C.J. Stroud is doing and you see what Anthony Richardson is doing when on the field, people are questioning, was it a smart decision to get Bryce Young? And like I've said on numerous times, sometimes it takes quarterbacks longer to develop than others. Um, I will say that a lot of the things that made Bryce Young good in college doesn't ne- doesn't necessarily translate to the NFL as as good and as prominent as it did in college. Like his escapability isn't there, like it was in college. But in college, you're not playing. The game's not as fast, obviously. The defense is not as fast. And you don't have, you know, an Alabama offensive line surrounding you. Uh, so I'm not going to just crap on C.J. Stroud. I mean, I'm not going to just crap on Bryce Young yet. I need to see more. But, you know, this is yet another multiple interception game. And this is yet another time when he did not look good in the slightest, even though he did have 247 yards, and Adam Thielen had 107. It, 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 it was a clear difference between, even though the numbers don't 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 look like it, he threw more than Jared Goff. It just looked like two completely different calibers of quarterbacks and two completely different teams, obviously. So, shouts out to the 
Lions for beating the now 0-5 Panthers. Damn, 0-5. I want to move on to, uh, let's just call this, I want to move, uh, let's, okay. I want to move on to college football. And this has been a very interesting year in college football because you, we, there isn't a, the reason why there's, I believe that there's more parity than ever in college football, not because they're just a bunch of great teams. It's because there isn't a, there's a major hole in every single team and every single team can be beat. I'm not saying that as like a disrespect to college football. That just is what it is. There's parity because there isn't a great team in college football. There's a lot of good teams, but there isn't a great team. And you can look at the AP poll, and the AP poll will say one thing, of course. But I want to give my top 10 teams in college football right now. And this, this some of this is going to be the same as the AP poll. Some obviously isn't. This is just... When I look at the games and when I see the games, this is what this is who I think are the top 10 teams and where I rank them. Let me start with number 10. I'm going to start with USC. And honestly, the only reason why I have USC is because of Caleb Williams and how explosive this offense can be. This is yet another year where Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley has a top tier offense or offense has a top tier scoring offense has a Heisman candidate or some people say that Kalen Williams is the favorite to go back to back dude that's that's the that's the Lincoln Riley special he take he gets the best out of his offenses he gets the best out of his quarterbacks and also the defense boy Lincoln Riley has he does not care about defense Lincoln Riley wants to win in shootouts and shootouts alone the biggest hindrance to this USC team is clearly their defense. When you look, you can look at the game against um hell, you can look at the game against against Arizona. They should never have been in a shootout with Arizona. They should never they did ultimately beat Arizona. They did ultimately beat Colorado, but they were destroying Colorado and Colorado came back and only lost by 7 points. And if it wasn't for an onside kick falling their way, USC could have possibly lost that game. What I'm just saying is, yes, you have Caleb Williams. Yes, you have an electric offense. But that offense is only going to get you so far. And as we saw last year against Utah, they can be beat. And uh, their offense is the only reason why I have them at number 10. At number 9. A lot of people obviously are a lot higher on the Florida Seminoles than I am. But I have Florida, who is ranked number four in the world, I mean, in, in the AP poll and ranked number four. I have them at number nine. I've seen them at their best. At their best, they are damn near unstoppable. A Mike Norvell team. I saw them beat LSU. I saw them beat Clemson. They are a good team. The problem is I'm still not sold on their offensive line, and I'm not sold 
on their defense at times because I also saw them only beat Boston College by two points. Boston College by two points. I also saw them in a dogfight until they weren't with uh, with Virginia Tech. I saw them in a dogfight with Florida. I saw them in a dog. Like, what I'm saying is, not Florida, I'm sorry, uh, FS, uh, LSU. What I'm saying is, at their best, Florida State can beat anybody. And that's that's what you can honestly say about all these teams. At their best, Florida can Florida can stay. Florida State can beat anybody. But at their worst, like, boy, and Jordan Travis has been good. Don't get me wrong, man. But again, I just it's hard to trust this offensive line. It's hard to trust this defense because I've seen them in games that they should have lost. Like they should have lost against Florida uh, Boston College. They ultimately didn't, but they should have. So I just I just not as sold yet uh, with Florida State, which is why I have them at nine. One of the best kept secrets, or not best kept secrets, one of the teams that aren't getting a lot of praise. And the team that I have at number eight is Penn State. Look, Penn State is, uh, yeah. Penn, I'll say that Penn, Penn State wins smash mouth. They destroy people. I mean, they beat Iowa 31-0. to zero. They beat Northwestern 41-3. They beat Illinois 30-10. to 10. I just, I want to see what they look like against a top-tier talent. Like against a top tier team, I know on Saturday they have uh, UMass, but the game that I'm definitely looking at is uh, October or next or the week after next when they play um, Ohio State. Penn State is really good. Don't get me wrong; they're second in the Big East or Big Ten East, but I have them at number eight at eight because I just need to see what they look like against. Um, a a top tier talent. At number seven, I have the Texas Longhorns. Quinn Ewers is good, man. You it you can't be you. I mean, he beat Alabama. <laughs> In Alabama, that win is looking more and more solid for the Texas Longhorns because of how Alabama looks. Um, how Alabama has been playing since then, but they did just lose the Red River rivalry against Oklahoma, thirty four to thirty. But again, even in that game, they had like three turnovers. Two of them were in the red zone. So they they look really good. And they they look like most of these teams on my top five, top ten can beat any team on any given Saturday. They can any of these teams can find themselves in the college football playoffs. That's how good college football is. Um in Texas with Quentin Euros and you know, being it's it, Steve Star or Steve Sarkazian has really changed this team. So, uh, yeah, man, this team is good. I just and I, I'm not going to take every game. Everybody plays better and every game is heightened with a rivalry game, especially when you have a team like Oklahoma. Uh, but. Texas is good. So I have Texas seven and number six, I have Oklahoma. <laughs> I will say this, the, the questions, one of the biggest issues 
that we saw last year from Oklahoma. And while a lot of people questioned how good Oklahoma can be is because when Brent Venables came, we expected their defense to just click and we expected their defense to be electric, especially when Brent Venables, who was the defensive coordinator for Clemson, we just that's what we expected out of Oklahoma team. They were God awful on defense last year they were not good their offense was okay but their offense was not good enough to overcome how bad they were defensively so when you're looking at a Brent Venables team it's like wait a second dog like come on now things are starting to match the 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 there's not that much a gap between the offense and the defense. When you have Dylan Gabriel, who isn't the most electrifying quarterback, but when Dylan Gabriel is 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 up to bat, he has been great, man. Again, they just beat Texas in the Red River rivalry. They beat Iowa State. Um, they beat Cincinnati. They 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 have some good wins so far. The best one, obviously, is is Texas, and they they the next the. I guess the remaining hardest game is probably Kansas until they might meet Texas again. I don't know. But the reason why I have them at number six is because the defense and the offense is starting to match, which is what we did not see last year. So um, I have Oklahoma at number six. At number five, calm down. At number five, I have the Georgia Bulldogs. I know everyone has them at number one. But I have them at number five. And I have the number five for this reason alone. When you look at this Georgia Bulldogs team, they have one impressive win. And that is against Kentucky last Saturday where they beat them 51 to 13. They've been in dogfights with South Carolina. They've been in dogfights with Auburn. They even, for a, for a short amount of time, or actually damn near half the game, they were in a dogfight with uh, UAB. This Georgia Bulldogs team saw a lot of its players that helped win a national championship last year, saw a lot of them go to the NFL or graduate. And they don't have those players anymore that – can cover up. They don't have NFL type. Well, they have a good team. Don't get me wrong, but they don't have uh, a Jalen. Uh, they they don't have a, a a team or a defense or NFL caliber players that can just overcome a lot of things. Carson Beck is not Stetson Bennett. Yes, he had his best game of the season on Saturday, but he's not Carson or Stetson Bennett. Uh, yes, you still have Brock Brewers, who is, in my opinion, arguably one of the greatest tight ends we've ever seen in college football. But outside of that, they don't. It's I just I need to see more. If we see more of what we saw against Kentucky, then, yeah, I can. I I'm very confident putting them up there. But until then. I have to put them in number five because they're struggling. They've struggled with teams like a Auburn, like a, a U, UAB that if they play a better competition, they will lose. So I have Georgia at number five. And number four, I have Washington. Um, outside of what Michael Penix being the 
in my uh, a lot of people's opinion, the Heisman front runner. They have their team is incredible. They have one of the most explosive teams in football. Um, when we talk about offense, when we talk about like they can put points on the board. Think about it. This is their point total this year. They have uh, 43, 41, 59, and 31. There's not much. Now, the game is going to be this Saturday. That is when they play against Oregon. That, to me, and, of course, on November 4th, where they play USC, but the Oregon game is the game of the season, in my opinion. I know Utah's up there. I know uh, Washington State's up there, and they're pretty good. The game of the season right now for Washington is Oregon on Saturday. Uh, you, I still think that Michael Penix is the could be the front runner for Heisman right now. This team is explosive, and you can blink, and the game is over. That's how fast of an offense this this Washington team is. So that's why I have Washington at number four. And number three, I have Oregon. Now, again, this can obviously change after Saturday. But one thing that Oregon has never really had, and even with Marcus Mariota, even with Justin Herbert, they never really had a defense to match the explosiveness of their offense. I know Marcus Mariota, they had defensive players. Like you had DeForest Buckner, you had you know, Armstead, like they've had good defenders, but they've never really had a all-around defense like they do now. They have one of the best. They have one of the best defenses in college football. And that's crazy to think when you hear Oregon's name. They have one of the best defenses in football. And they also have Bo Nix, who's been incredible, who's in the Heisman race. They have uh, Troy Franklin, a great wide receiver. They have... uh, was it Marquise Marquise Irving I believe the running back yo this is a complete team and we have not seen that from Oregon in a while Dan Lanning is has has his fingerprints all over this team and not only are they destroying people but they're beating people defensively and that's one thing especially with the Colorado game they're now again the to me, the game is, of course, on Saturday against Washington because I don't see much drop-off between the offense offenses that is Oregon and, and Washington. But the difference to me and the reason why I have Oregon at number three and Washington number four is I just think Oregon's defense is better. And we'll definitely see on Saturday. So I have Oregon at number three. At number two, I have Ohio State. And, boy, <laughs> Ryan Day got this team going. You have the best wide receiver and arguably the best athlete in college football in uh, Marvin Irving, Marvin Harrison, I'm sorry, Marvin Harrison Jr. I did want to see what Kyle McCord looked like, and he's looked great. They have arguably the best offensive line in football. (sighs) This team is good. Now, again, the thing that's holding them back is – their quarterback but their quarterback McCord he's he makes good plays and again when you have the best wide receiver in football it makes a lot I mean did you see some of the catches he made against Maryland on Saturday it's been it's been incredible and my number one team is Michigan I think that they have the all-around 
best team in in college football. I don't think AJ McCarthy is the best quarterback at all, but I do think that he's been really good, and Blake Corn has been really good, and Donovan Edwards has been really good, and uh, Cornelius Johnson has been good. Like this, there's not much holes in this team. They can beat you defensively. They can beat you running the ball. They can beat you passing. To me, at least right now, Michigan has the best team in football. I do. I am very interested to see uh, what they look like November 11th when they play Penn State. And then, of course, the game November 25th when they play Ohio State. But right now, after what I've seen in college football, it's hard for me to pick a team over uh it's hard for me to pick a team over the the Michigan Wolverines. So that is that is who I have as the best team in college college football. So now I have the unpopular topic of the day. And I'm gonna try something. I've been hearing this a lot. Uh people are saying that I should um talk about stuff outside of sports. So I'll, I'll be real. I don't know much about pop culture. I don't care much about people's lives outside of mine and my family's. I don't I don't care about, you know, Chris Sean Robinson. I don't care about none of that. I wish nothing but the best for these people. But I don't I don't care. I don't I don't know what goes on in pop culture. I don't know because that, that's just not my lane. I don't feel it. It. It uh, benefits me in any way, shape, or form to know what other people are doing or to follow people's relationship pages or to follow people's vlogs. Shouts out to Maya Palmer. She has a very good blog, and she's a really good friend of mine. Go follow her. She she posts stuff about her life. But anyone else, I don't, I don't care about celebrity relationships at all. But one thing I do care about is music. <laughs> and... Again, I'm I'm seeing how this goes. I need you guys' response to tell me how you feel about it. Uh, Drake just dropped an album for the dogs. And much like most of Drake's uh, discography and most of Drake's drops, it has been very divisional when we talk about the conversations surrounding his album some people love it some people hate it some people say it's the best album drake has dropped some people say it's the worst album drake has dropped here's my opinion i am a fan of what people like to call rapidly rap drake some of my favorite songs is uh do not disturb or Western Road Flows or, you know, some of those songs, most of the songs where Drake is really getting to his rap bag. I also understand that Drake is larger, pause, than just a rapper. He's not just a rapper. He is an he and it would be it would be a, a disservice to him to only service one crowd. Now, I will say that the buildup for All the Dogs, which is, of course, the album that he dropped, which was centered around getting back to the quote unquote old Drake. And when people hear the old Drake, you hear a take care or you hear nothing was the same or 
even if you're reading this is too late, Drake. That is the Drake that people, that's the Drake that I was expecting to hear on For All the Dogs. And after I've, I've constantly, since it dropped, I've listened to this album straight through probably five or six times just to make sure my, I felt what I felt. For All the Dogs is a good album. But it's not a good album on the level of Drake. I feel that when I'm looking, when I'm look, Drake is considered, when we talk about the quote unquote kings of hip hop, right? And we talk about the top three. There's always top three. There's J. Cole, there's Kendrick, and there's Drake. And that that title, the, the, the top three, that means something. That means that there's an expectation that when you drop something, it is going to be vastly superior than the rest of the rest of the pool. And so when I hear when Drake drops something, I expect it to be leaps and bounds better than anyone can drop. Maybe not J. Cole, maybe not Kendrick, but better than the the field. And for all the dogs is a good album for the field. If let's say let's say Little Yachty, because he's been around Drake for if Little Yachty dropped for all the dogs, that would be, in my opinion, his best album. If someone like uh and this is this is no disrespect, let me not say any more names. If somebody on a with lesser cachet than Drake dropped this album. It would be their best album. But for Drake, it's not. I'm not going to go as far as to say it's his worst album because I'm one of the people that absolutely hate. Honestly, never mind. I do like Sticky. And of course, I like Jimmy Cooks, but that's about it. But this is a very. This is this is one of Drake's worst projects. In my opinion. Now, again, I know music is subjective and I know that, again, there are some people that love this album and no, you know, shouts out to you guys. But I'm one of the people that think Views is probably Drake's best album. If we're not counting, if you're reading it, if we're counting, if you're reading this is too late, that's Drake's best album. But a lot of people say, but no, that's a mixtape. Okay, so if you're reading this, I mean, no. Views is my favorite Drake album. I think that is the best Drake album. To me, For All the Dogs is nowhere close to Drake. It's best. And For All the Dogs is nowhere close to Views. I'll probably put it closer to Scorpion than anything. I think that Certified Lover Boy was better than For All the Dogs. I will even go as far as to say that Dark Lane Demo Taste was better than this. I'll go as far as to saying more life, which was a playlist that was better than this. It just wasn't. And you know what? I also noticed it feels, and I understand what Drake is doing as someone <laughs> I've been so rigid and I, and I still might do it. This might be a one-off 
I like to stick to sports because that's that's what I talk about. When people come to the Unpopular Podcast, they expect to hear sports. This is honestly probably the first time I've talked about anything other than sports outside of like riots and stuff that happened a, a, a brick ago. Um, I understand that Drake is larger than music at this point. Just like Beyonce, she's larger than music. Taylor Swift is larger than music. And if you don't believe me about Taylor Swift, look at the look at the NFL trying to milk this whole Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey thing. I understand that Drake is in that lane. And I understand that there is a group of fans, there is a large group of fans that would be upset if Drake catered to my type of music that I like from Drake, and that is the rap Drake. That is the 5 a.m. in Toronto Drake. That is the 4 p.m. in Calabasas. Uh, That is um, worst behavior Drake, you know, that type of rap. Hell, even 8 a.m. in Charlotte, that was on For the Dogs. That was one of my favorite songs on the album, along with First Person Shooter, because I, I love... J. Cole's verse, which was a rap-heavy verse. But I also understand that there's a lot of people that would not or would feel dis... would feel like Drake is not catering to them, and that is the, the pop group, the singing group. And I feels like For All the Dogs was geared towards Gen Zers. When you look at music like that little Yachty's been putting out or that Yeet uh, put out or NBA Youngboy or, or people like that of younger stat or or younger people that kind of gear towards or younger artists that gear towards younger people. That's what it sounds like this album is for. When we when you hear beats and you hear songs like Daylight, you hear songs like Amen, you hear songs like uh, Tried Our Best. All good songs. But just when we talk about the caliber of Drake, I think it was a miss. I like the album. I think it's a good album. Out of 23 songs. Oh, and that's another thing. I hate long ass song, all long ass albums, man. Like, don't get me wrong. I like music, but Jesus Christ, 23 songs is crazy. <laughs> Maybe keep it between 11 to 14 and you got it. You got yourself a banger. But if we talk about the totality of Drake's discography, I think that this is one of the worst albums that he's dropped. In fact, I'll, I'm not going to it's is not. I think the worst by far is definitely if you're uh, honestly, never mind. But I would put it between, I'll put it somewhere around, hell, it might be right after that. I wasn't a fan of uh, Thank Me Later. I like some of the songs on Thank Me Later, but as a complete album, nah, it really wasn't for me. But yeah, as a good, as, a, as just a regular album, I think For All The Dogs is a good album. But as a Drake album... And what I expect to hear from Drake, the same issues that we have seen, honestly, since um, Scorpion is the same issue that I have with this. When I think of Drake, I think of a 
of a higher level of artistry that I'm not getting from For the Dogs. I think of I think of greatness. When we think top three, I think of great. I think of, you know, your music should be aligned and your music should be comparable to a J. Cole, a Kendrick. Not not the field. And I feel like this album was made for the field. So I wasn't I like the album, but for a Drake album, it wasn't the best at all. That's just my opinion. So and there you have it, man. That has been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly appreciate you guys. Let me know what you guys feel or let me know if you guys like this whole, you know, a segment or two about something other than sports. Um, Again, I am not privy on people's relationships or drama or uh, chatty patty stuff or um, blogs and stuff. I don't I don't care about none of that. I don't know about none of that. I don't invest in time. I don't know about gossip. I don't care about none of that. You will never have me on here talking about he said, she said, I don't care. Um, But I can talk about music. I can talk about, you know, things in movies or something. I don't know. I watch a lot of movies. So let me know what you guys think. I'm not going to get away from sports. I promise you that sports is embedded in me. That is the root of the unpopular podcast. And if you guys say, hey, I don't want you to talk about anything other than sports. Hey, you got it. But if you want to hear more about other things let me know and i you know i i will extend the again i'll still keep the core with sports but i'll talk about other things probably towards the end of the show just just let me know but if you want a popular podcast shirt hoodie sweater long sleeve joggers the link is in the description below i have multiple different colors multiple different designs get your unpopular podcast merch today also subscribe to the youtube channel i'm trying to grow the podcast as much as it can and i'm trying to get as many viewers as many subscribers as possible so tell a friend to tell a friend i can't do it without you guys' help it definitely means a lot that you guys even consider to come to the podcast uh so and if you like the content if you like what i'm doing tell a friend to tell a friend to subscribe and if you're not subscribed hey bro if you get to the if you get to this point in the podcast and still not subscribe i think there's an issue with you more than anything (laughs) i'm joking i'm joking but please subscribe also Follow the socials, follow the Instagram, follow the TikTok. I took a couple days off posting, but I'm back in effect and I will be posting again on the on a regular basis starting today. So come follow the socials. I communicate with everyone. Just keep it respectful. That's you. That's me communicating with you. So, yeah. And again, I truly appreciate you guys. And until next time, much love.